0: This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Revisit a subject we discussed this summer and just go back there. I think the Lord's leading us back and that is the subject of maturity. And that's today's message. You wanna grab your, um, your bulletin or go to you Version, And let's talk about maturity a little bit. We spent a few weeks in Ephesians chapter four. Today, we're going to venture beyond Ephesians chapter four, despite what the logo says, Uh, Because the New Testament talks about maturity a lot. So I'm gonna do something I typically don't do, but I I know God's gonna work through this, is we're going to look at a variety of scriptures that at first will uh, seem disconnected contextually, but what is connecting these scriptures are the word maturity. And that word is going to help us identify some ingredients of maturity. And before I explain further why we're going to so many different scriptures today, because typically I like to kind of stay anchored in one spot, I want to explain this by telling you a little bit about Beth's family. Beth grew up in Eastern Kentucky, and it's a place that comes up frequently when you hear us teach, uh, because we go there quite a bit. It's been a few months since we've been there currently, Uh, We're trying to figure out a way to squeeze in a trip this fall, but it's a very delightful place to go. Uh, They have ancestral land that they've lived on many years. And so there's a conglomeration of homes all owned by the same family. And these homes are really quite large, very nice homes built in the last 20 to 30 years. And there's one particular home that is much older. It is the homestead. And that is where family dinners are. There's Thanksgiving and Christmas. And despite the fact that it is the smallest home, every other home has much more space and would be much more comfortable to go to that place. Everyone gathers at the smallest, oldest, but yet most sentimental home. And the whole family squeezes in there for our holidays. But it's not just holidays. Every Saturday afternoon, there's a family meal. And if you don't have plans, and haven't received a better offer, you can drop by, and Aunt Sharon cooks a meal every week. And I don't want to make you too hungry, you know, as we're approaching eleven thirty now. But the food is exactly what you're imagining—delicious. I mean, it is fantastic. Eastern Kentucky cornbread and all the fixings that go with it. All the different food, it is outstanding. One of these Saturdays that we were in town, uh, Aunt Sharon had cooked a vegetable soup and cornbread. And it was very good, like everything she makes. So as Beth and I were talking about it, I, I said, let's get the recipe. So she goes into her aunt and says, you know, looks at the soup and there's some basic things, you know, right? Like that go into vegetable soup, like vegetables, right? Huh, okay. <laughs> And, and there's other things. Uh, and so she's asking questions and she, she asked her aunt, says, how much oregano goes into the soup? And her aunt said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? Is there not a recipe? And she said, no, there's not a recipe because it changes every time I cook. And that reveals the truth that cooking is in a science. You know, the best cooks don't necessarily need a recipe book because they have the ingredients right here in their head, they have the ingredients right in their heart. And if you're making some stew, you know, for a certain occasion, or a certain crowd, you may need more vegetables, you may need more meat, you may need more seasoning, you may need less of what you typically put in. Because it's more of an art than a science. So it is, that's a great word picture for spiritual maturity. Because I cannot give you this scientific formula and say, you add these three things, these four things, and you will be spiritually mature. Because the truth is this, on some occasions, spiritual maturity calls for more of something, more of an ingredient than another. At some phases of life, though we may have the reputation of a good soup, or the reputation of a mature Christian, we need to add something new. We need to eliminate something old. And it comes from the heart. So it is that today, as we look at four disjointed scriptures, uh, as far as location and as far as con- context, they all uh, weave together and they're all uh, sharing the, the common word maturity. And it's going to show us this stew that we need that's so Good for us. Now, Satan has a plan. And he has a plan to attack your life. But for most of you, I don't think that this week, Satan is going to appear in your bedroom or in your car or in your office with a fiery red cape and a pitchfork and demand, bow on your knees and worship me and I'll give you $200 billion. That's typically not the way Satan tempts us, right? Now for, who is it for, uh, who wrote Devil Went Down to Georgia? I want to say Jack Daniels, but it's not him. Who is it? Charlie Daniels. Okay, Charlie, Jack, they're probably related. <laughs> so for Charlie Daniels, you know, he made a deal with the devil. Uh, we don't make such deals overtly. Here's the truth. Satan has a plan for your life, a plan to keep you immature spiritually because we've already established maturity as God's will for you. And in order to do that, he will subtly distract you, almost imperceptibly distract you. And so you'll get one degree off and it won't seem like a big deal, but over time, that separation will grow and grow and grow. And that's why... If we're adding something to our stew today, here's an ingredient you're gonna see in the scripture and that is a focus. I know this is that distractions are one of the greatest things that will keep you from the maturity God wants you to have. Now Jesus told an incredible parable that we could spend weeks talking about, but we're just going to jump in the middle of this parable in Luke chapter eight, starting with verse 14 and we're gonna find some insight it says, as for the seed, which is the word that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. Now, here's the phrase that ties this theme together and produces no mature fruit. This is an incredible concept. It means this: it's possible to be an Awana kid who memorizes all the scripture and an exit seven youth kid who comes to Wednesday night service and do mission trips. It's possible to sit here and every week listen to this handsome, charming pastor. Why are you guys laughing? It's possible to sit in an environment like this and, and listen to the scripture, but not produce fruit, not produce maturity in your life. And now, specifically, we see here, why? Because worries and riches and pleasure chokes out the word. Now, I love having you guys here. I love having you here every Sunday. And and honestly, I want you here every Sunday. But if by the time you you hear, may the Lord bless you and keep you, which is our benediction, and grab your kids and get in the car and drive down the hill and get down to... um, Drake's Creek, I was gonna say Calendar Lane, but that's the city of Hendersonville's fault that they changed the name of the street. As you get down to what now is Drake's Creek, you've already lost the work of God in your life because we're distracted. It's very, very subtle. We almost don't perceive it. We're so worried about life. We have so many options because of our wealth, which wealth is not wrong. That's a whole other sermon. I'm I'm not about class warfare at all. I just know those of us who are wealthy, which I think everyone here is really, we have challenges because wealth produces options. Wealth produces distractions. The pleasures of life, the pleasures of life which are more tangible often that with things we can touch and taste and experience and God seems distant. And then God becomes something that is not a priority in our life and brothers and sisters, God's called you to maturity, but he wants you to hear this morning and be reminded that it's the little things that are keeping you from being mature. It's the small distractions it's the things that uh, don't seem punishable or don't seem wrong and even have, have aspects of, of good in them that, that kind of keeps us from the best. So I remind you, listen, this applies not just spiritually but to every part of your life. Everything you say yes to means you're saying no to something else. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't say yes to many things because God wants us to have a yes in our heart. But I just don't want us to blindly be distracted, to blindly take these distractions. And then before we know it, we have no prayer life. We have no devotional life. We have no commitment to Christian community that God is just something we're checking off our to do list on Sunday morning. Can I just, because I love you and because I know God's called you to maturity, that's not acceptable to the Lord. The Lord wants your heart and the Lord wants to produce fruit in you. Look at verse 14 again. And I just now that I've expounded it just a little bit, look at that. It says, Produce no mature fruit. God wants fruitfulness and maturity. And where does fruitfulness come from? In John 17, Jesus said this: If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. It's about a friendship with God. It's about time with God. It's about being at the place you're supposed to be. And that's what the Lord wants for you. The place where I was yesterday was the Ocoee River as I went whitewater rafting with some of the guys here in this service and in our previous service. And whitewater rafting is a blast and it's a lot of fun, but there's no way to go whitewater rafting without an exercise of humility. And this started off very quickly for me because as we're getting ready to load the buses and they're giving us the equipment, uh, the guy takes the life jacket and he says, this here is a standard life jacket that fits all adults, which means it doesn't fit anyone very good. Well, that might be something that, makes you groan or chuckle, that terrified me. I thank God Almighty that there were not cameras allowed on the boats, because putting this all-purpose life jacket on and squeezing it on was a major humbling task. In addition to this, we were required to wear helmets. And I don't know if you can really call them a helmet because I'm confident back in our nursery area right now, there are, are things that were, or helmets that are much more safe than the things we wore because it kind of fit on the crown of my head, kinda. And then I had to put the strap underneath. It's like I had this plastic red thing at the bowl of my head. So I know, imagine the life jacket and the bowl, red bowl, the top of my head. And I'm a little weird about stuff like that, I must admit, and, and the thought, crossed my mind, I'm just going to get my car and go home. I mean, that, that idea crossed my mind. Well, you'd think that is bad. The worst part of whitewater rafting, the thing that is impossible to do is once you're in the water, getting back into the raft, I don't care if you're LeBron James or Michael Jordan, there is no graceful way to get back into that raft at all. And I'm not going to point out people or name names, but the boat I was in. I wasn't the only guy my size in the boat. We had we had some mass in that thing. I, I knew we were in trouble. Because 100 yards into it, we got stuck on a rock. And the guy said, man, I've done this 30, 30 times before. I never got stuck before. There was a lot of weight headed towards that rock. So all of my... Uh, All of my uh, raft mates jumped in the water for a swim, and I thought, I'm not jumping in there because I don't know if I can get back in. (laughs) This next time I had the opportunity to swim, I did jump in, and I'm gonna tell you, it's a sight getting not only my friends and myself back in, the the wells back beached again (laughs) was ugly, and it was not graceful, but it was a blast, and it was fun, and here's the deal. It took some humility to wear the outfit, to wear the aqua socks. Someone challenged me to preach my aqua socks today. Yeah, right. It took some humility to put all that gear on. It took some humility to be dragged out of the water by three other men and to flop into a raft. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. A lot of times in life, the, the stuff that that is rewarding and good takes humility. You know that? It takes us being humble. And we're missing out on many, many great things in life because we're not humble enough. I follow leadership very closely. I have a degree in leadership. And then beyond professional training or academic training, I choose to study leadership. And over the last decade, The most common theme that emerges in basically leadership scientists, for lack of a better term, is people are looking for humility in their leaders. People are tired of the rock star CEO or the rock star pastor. Uh, People are looking for leaders who walk in humility, who care more about the people they lead than themselves. And I think what causes us to cry out for that is that's who Jesus is. Jesus led with humility. Jesus led. uh, He is the ultimate example of humility. And the problem we have today is many of us have stopped maturing spiritually because of the pride in our lives. We're living off a reputation. People think we're spiritual or we were a leader at our last church, or we have some kind of credentials you can look at on a wall, or we have some kind of title, So we think we've arrived. We think we're mature, and we've overlooked the ingredient of humility that places us in a position to mature. That's why Philippians 3:12, we're going to look at this twice. Philippians chapter three verse 12, says this: This is Paul, who, besides Jesus, he and Peter and John formed Christianity through their writings, through the Holy Spirit using their writings. And he said this, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature. I want to just say something bluntly, and I could be talking to myself on this. If you think you are at a place of spiritual maturity, then you're probably not. Because every person, God's calling to grow. God's calling to stretch. You don't arrive That's why in some ways we handicap ourselves with setting up different categories of establishment and and, and different, like our degrees or our titles or being called pastor or uh, whatever the case is as if we're mature now. No, look at this attitude. I've not reached the goal or I'm not already mature. That's the kind of attitude of humility we should have. No matter where you are in life, there's a place to grow. There's a place to be stretched. There's a place to become more like Jesus. And if you had an ingredient in your life that you've received the claim for and God has used, instead of just just using that same ingredient, there's something new God wants to add. There's something different he wants. And one of the things that irritate me the most is when people are smug. They just kind of act like they know, they act like they have it all figured out. They act like they know something someone else doesn't know. Guys, we need to be humble before the Lord and humble before each other. We need to have an attitude to receive, an attitude to learn, an attitude that God can speak through anyone. And God says he speaks best through a child. How many of us are listening to his voice through the children in our lives? We're missing out. You know, we we have prayer partners that go to this back wall. I don't think we're gonna have this today, so I'm not trying to be manipulative here, but we'll invite these prayer partners back there. And, And I truly believe that many of us need prayer, but we become so arrogant, thinking we're spiritually mature, as if prayer is for somebody else. I don't need that, it'll just be me and God. And I just want to speak to that pride because I know this, that Beth and I have often come here to this service with her leading worship and me, me preaching needing prayer from the people we go to church with. And you know what? They have prayed for us. Guys, we have to lay down our pride. If we wanna mature spiritually, we have to believe the best is ahead. I'm not gonna live off my reputation. I'm not gonna live off my past experience. I'm not gonna live off of what, what I think that, that things in the past, how, how they were and how they should be now. No, I'm going to be open to what God has for me right now today. And so it is that we have this attitude of maturity. And then moving on to verse 14, the same passage now in Philippians 3, 14 says, but one thing I do, this is the same kind of continuous passage, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward. Think about that word reaching. I want that to jump off the screen or jump off your Bible. Reaching for what is ahead, I pursue. There's another word. If you have a pen, you can underline that in your Bible. I pursue, I'm reaching and I pursue as my goal, the prize, promised by God, God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Moving on, it says, therefore, here's that word that brings us together. All who are mature should think this way. All who are mature should think this way. And then if any of you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. You know what word summarizes that heart? The word effort. And spiritual maturity takes effort. We don't just automatically get maturity through longevity. Longevity is important. And I believe we should respect seasoned Christians and we should respect senior citizens. And it's a mistake for the church to retire senior citizens. And here at our church, we have some retired people or some people who are at the age of retirement who are leading well, leading well here. Because God has a plan for all. Longevity, though, can work against us when we are long-term immature. I mean, we're continuing to walk in pride for a long time. We're continuing to walk in distraction, are being ruled with a lack of focus or being ruled by distractions for long-term. Longevity, then, can work against us. But maturity takes effort, and I wanna challenge you Listen, how close are you to God right now? How close are you to God? I want you to think about it. Because you are as close to God as you wanna be. Your closest to God doesn't have anything to do with anyone else but yourself. Because in every season, in every challenge, in every circumstance, God says, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And so it is. It might look different than it did in the past. It might seem different. I, it might be unfamiliar ground to you, but God wants to be close to you. And God does not believe your greatest days spiritually are behind you. God doesn't believe that your greatest experiences are in the rearview mirror. I mean, there is something right before you. And by his spirit, he'll help you see that. But it takes some effort. It takes some consistency. It takes uh, developing a devotional life. Develop, developing a friendship with God. It means finding a church and saying, this is where God's called us. This is where we're gonna be. We're gonna love, we're gonna serve. We're gonna get irritated right here at the same place. So that's what happens. If you're gonna be around people, you're gonna be irritated. I'm gonna get on your nerves. I'm not gonna nail it some weeks. Believe it or not, I won't. But it's is, is getting to the place, say, hey, this is it. This, I, I'm, I am putting in the effort to be the man or woman God's called me to be because God has called us to maturity. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 13. Okay, I'm somewhat there. If I say it long enough, I'll put the right slide up. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. Look at this phrase as this word reappears again. We pray that you become fully mature. We pray that you become fully mature. You know, that's... God is calling us to prayer. And a sign of maturity, an ingredient of maturity is prayer. As I get older, there's not a whole lot of advantages to getting older. But there are some. I found that I sleep less than I used to. Does anyone else find that the older you get, the less you have to sleep? All the teenagers are saying, amen, we need sleep. But the older you get, sometimes you sleep a little bit less. There's other advantages to being older. You know the disadvantages too. But I believe prayer, that's the last point we're going to emphasize today. Prayer is one of the advantages of age. Now, for those of you who are younger, don't let this be an excuse to not pray. You need to develop a prayer life right now. But as our mind settles and our spirit settles, we're drawn more into prayer. Most of my praying these days is thinking in the presence of God. Jesus said himself that our prayers shouldn't be just words, 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 and words articulate what we need to say sometimes and are helpful. But I just get in the presence of God and I think about my life and I think about this church and I think about the world and culture and I just ask his presence to guide my thoughts. Some of you needed to hear that today because some of you think you don't pray, but you pray more than you think. And this is a positive, this is a positive understanding for you that you're actually praying more than you think. So don't, don't condemn yourself. And then if you don't know what to pray for, that's real easy, start some lists. I have all these intricate lists in my iPhone. I started off, just writing down the things I was worried about. Made my worry list my prayer list. Because Jesus said, don't worry, or or Paul said in the Philippians, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So if you simply write down the stuff you're worried about and then pray for it, you have a list that, that will fill up your prayer time pretty fast. And then every time somebody says, hey, will you pray about this? Or when we give that kind of tired social response, hey, I'll pray about that, but then forget. Why don't you type that in your phone or write that on a list? And then when you become socially aware of what's happening in your community and what's happening in this nation and what's happening in the world and you begin to get concerned about what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri, and you get concerned about what's happening in Syria and Northern Iraq and you... you think about that, and then you include God's presence with it, and you take it to the Father, and then you begin to pray. So prayer is for all of us. And for us to be the people God wants us to be, we, have to, we, we, we get to be people of prayer. I almost said we have to be people of prayer. You people pray. Forget that. We get to be people of prayer. We get to take needs to the father and to see him intervene and to see him work and to see his powerful hand come into the situation that we need. Man, what a privilege that is. So we're called to prayer. Beth, I want you to join me up here and let's bring this to a close, huh? Why don't we do that today? God is so good. And I just tell you again, through the power of the Lord, that you are called to maturity. Through the name of Jesus, and through the principles of Jesus, I call out maturity in you. That's what I'm doing today because I'm echoing what the Lord has because Aaron's call doesn't mean anything. God's call means something. And God is saying, come on, let's go to maturity. Let, let's, let grow up. Let's grow up. And there's lots of different ingredients, right? I mean, there's a plethora of spiritual principles all through the New Testament, whether it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, whether it's principles that we ascertain through stories. There, there's all types of principles we have, all types of ingredients. But today, God took us on this journey and showed us these words of maturity in Luke 8 and Philippians 3 and in 2 Corinthians, whatever chapter that was. And he brought us through and, and he, he said, maturity. Come on, it's, it's jumping out right now. The enemy wants to keep you immature because he wants to distract you, get you so worried about your life now, so worried about your money, so worried about your pleasures. But brothers and sisters, we're gonna stand before God someday. And we're gonna stand before him. And what will matter are things that are in eternity. And there will will become a day of regret. This day of regret may not have anything to do with our eternal status, but there is a day where we will say, why did I get so distracted by stuff that didn't really matter? Why did I get so distracted by things that weren't eternal? Why did I lose focus? I never stopped loving the Lord. I never stopped uh, belonging to Him, but I let the worries of this world choke out the seed of His Word. I let the worries of this world keep me from letting mature fruit come into my life. We're gonna stand before God and and when we get into the presence of a holy God who is righteous and perfect and without error and mistakeless and all of a sudden our arrogance is going to melt in his presence. It's gonna burn in his presence and we're gonna wish I had not lived life full of pride and smugness and arrogance and not seeing that I need to grow and I need to mature. We're gonna stand before God and we're going to regret our days of slothfulness, our days when we've cared more about the condition of our physical body or the condition of our home than we have about our heart. The whole time we've been healthy, we've been well-groomed, we've had uh, homes that have great pictures, but our heart has been diseased on the inside. Guys, I'm for health I'm making decisions in my life to be healthier right now. I'm I'm, I'm for being a good neighbor and having nice homes, but we are so deceived if we don't seek first the kingdom of God. And that whole time, you know, we have a great appearance and we have great vehicles and and we're doing successful professionally, but our heart, our heart is so immature and we'll stand before God and wish that wasn't the case. Would you stand with me in the attitude of prayer? I, listen, I, I've had an intensity during this part. I had an intensity earlier this morning. And it's not that of you people are bad kind of intensity. It's an intensity that says, come on, let's get about God's business. Let's get about the ways of the Lord. Let's get about the things of God. Let's not stay in immaturity. Let's not let's stay lukewarm because lukewarm is not satisfied satisfying and acceptable to god he wants us to be hot he wants us either to be cold and not in a negative way but in a refreshing way this lukewarm thing doesn't matter and he is sinning sending the fire of his judgment that for believers is not a bad thing it's a good thing When the judgment of God starts, the judgment of God starts in the house of God. And his judgment is good because his judgment starts to burn away that which is superficial. His judgment begins to burn away that which is wood, hay, and stubble. His judgment begins to burn away those things that are temporary, those things that will rot. And instead, there is gold and silver and jewels, which is Jesus Christ, that which is valuable, that which is purified. And Listen, the judgment of God makes us beautiful in the sight of God. Isn't that a good thing to know? And so it is. So it is through his power. Through his power. We are Jesus people. We are Jesus people. And we are moving to maturity. And so this day, it is our custom. The way we worship God. We, we make communion available every week. You're not obligated to take but you're given that opportunity. Here in a moment, as we worship, you'll have the opportunity to take. Some will choose to, some will not. But what I don't want you to do is to go through the communion like a vain repetition, like robots just getting in line. I'm not trying to belittle our custom because I think it's beautiful. My heart swells when I see people in line to take the bread and the cup because it's God's people taking all of Jesus. So I'm not belittling our custom. I'm just saying God's people, we don't do this out of obligation. We don't do this just out of rote memory. We don't do this out of compulsion. We do this because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And we were once sinners. We were once chained. We were once lost. And who would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without Jesus? What would our lives be like without Jesus? And so it is that when we choose to eat the bread and drink the cup, we're not saying, Jesus, you're a nice guy and um, I'm gonna think about you once a week we're saying this bread symbolizes your body this cup symbolizes your blood and we're taking all of you Jesus and Jesus you said yourself that if any man would follow me he would take up his cross daily so that means this is I take all of you Jesus right now right now I'll take all of you Jesus and I'll take all of you Jesus Monday morning and I'll take all of you Jesus Thursday morning because you are You did for me what no one else could do. You paid it all for me. I want us to reflect on this message. Our team's gonna lead us in worship. And when your heart's ready, if you wanna take communion, fine. If this isn't your day to do that, that's fine. I won't give further instructions. You can eat the bread and drink the cup. But let's move to that place of maturity through Jesus our Lord. Let's now worship him together. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church in Indian Lake.